If you have your Bibles tonight, and I hope that you will, as we start a journey through the book of 1 Kings. And uh, as I have prayed about this, it was a, a real struggle about where the Lord wanted us to go next. And uh, I was reading some articles and things like that, and we are in a world that is consumed with drama. Now, before you get mad at me, uh, my great-grandmother Jones was one of the most godly people I ever met. But there was a couple times a day when she could not leave the television because there were a couple programs that were going to be on that she just had to watch. They were soap operas. The drama, the intrigue, the backstabbing, the, all the stuff that comes from a soap opera was just, for some reason, what she wanted. Some of the world's leading television shows and movies, which I don't think you should watch, but that's between you and the Lord, uh, are television shows um, uh, uh, called Game of Thrones about kingdoms and who's in charge and houses and all kinds of stuff, betrayal, backstabbing, and murder. It's just drama, drama, drama. But when you open the book of 1 Kings, I think it has more of that stuff than anything you could ever make up in secular world history. You say, well, Jake, why would you preach through that? Because leadership is something we are missing in the world today. Whether you look at the White House, whether you look at the governor's mansion, whether you look at a world stage, whether you look in church, whether you look in the home leadership is lacking. Because of that, we have little boys who grow up thinking they want to be little girls, and little girls growing up thinking they deserve to be treated terribly and awful because they don't have value. But yet, if we're going to lead, we need to know that it's going to be in not the ideal circumstances. Leadership comes in a broken world. And when we look at King David and we look at King Solomon and we'll proceed to look at the kings that follow him, we need to know something that God blesses godly leadership. You say, well, Jake, I'm not married. I don't have any kids. I don't have any grandkids. But do you have nieces and nephews? Do you have people under you at work? Do you have people that you influence in your circle? You have an opportunity to be a leader that God can use to make a difference in people's lives. You say, well, Jake, this is a little bit different than most sermon series as you preach. Well, not really. I went through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and I'm telling you what, we had some people that visited one time and said, I'll never listen to something like that again. And I said, listen to me, if you thought it was uncomfortable to listen to, it was uncomfortable to preach. There was some hard things in there. But it's a reminder to us when we look at the brokenness in God's Word that it's true. It doesn't sugarcoat over the things that God's people did that were embarrassing, that were wicked. It gives it in its full context and says, if it wasn't for the grace and mercy of God, where would we be? And I think that's what the world wants to see from God's people. Not false perfection, because we're not, but honest repentance. A willingness to say that, hey, my family's got problems. Hey, my marriage has got struggles. I've got loved ones that are lost. I've got loved ones that struggle with things. But God can work in amazing ways, even in a broken world. 
in Psalm 102 verse 18 talking about the things written in God's Word. The Bible says this will be written for the generation to come that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. If you want to know how we continue to teach the next generation, it is remind them of the sins of the past. Remind them of the forgiveness of the past. Remind them for what God has done. That's why the children of Israel were instructed numerous times to set up stones of remembrance. Remember what God did. Remember how God worked. Remember the good things that God has done for us. In Romans, the 15th chapter, verse 4, the Bible says this, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we may through the patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope. You can read about King David and his failures not to glorify King David or not to excuse our own sinful behavior, but to see that there is hope because God forgave. We can look at Solomon who was the most wise individual to ever live outside of Jesus, but yet made a mess of his own home. And I can look at that and think, God, you can even forgive me when I make a mess of my own home. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says it like this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. There's no verse in God's Word that does not matter and that cannot be used to glorify God. And so even 1 Kings with all of its lying, betrayal, murder, all of this stuff that consumes this book, there is a beautiful picture of how God keeps His promises. And today I hope that you will know that as a husband, as a mother, as a friend, as an aunt, as an uncle, that God is faithful. And so where we're at in 1 Kings, King David is coming to the end of his life, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 to his early 70s. And you say, well, Jake, I'm older than that. I don't feel like I'm that at the end of my life. King David was a racehorse that had been rode hard and put up wet. He had lived on the run. He had lived in caves. He had fought for his life. He is not a typical 70-year-old person. He was wore out. He was broke down. He was coming to the end of his life. And this all starts because King David had multiple children. If you remember Amnon, you could read about that in 2 Samuel, Samuel chapter 13 and his great crime and his rape of his half-sister. Another son who was called Daniel in 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. We don't know what happened to him. Most Bible scholars believe he probably died as a child. Absalom, his third son, led a rebellion against King David, as you remember. King David went into a great time of depression when his son was killed. And then there was Adonijah, the next oldest son. And as he began to see his dad get older, weaker, this vacuum of leadership, he thought, I'm next in line. I'm going to take my opportunity to rise to the top. But something had already happened. King David had heard from the Lord that it wasn't going to be Adonijah who was going to be the next king. It was going to be Solomon. But that didn't matter. Because all he saw was a weak old man in a bed who could not care for himself and the throne of one of the greatest empires the world had ever seen. You have to remember, Israel only had two kings, King Saul and King David. 
This was a new thing, an exciting thing. The nation had finally had peace after years of bloodshed and rebellion and infighting. And so he knew that whoever got the throne now, man, it was easy street. Wealth, fortune, prosperity. He wanted it. But listen to what it says in 1 Chronicles chapter 22. If you would stand with me out of a reverence for the reading of God's word. Then he called for his son Solomon, coming from David, and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name. King David wanted to build the temple, and God said no. Because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Verse 9, Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies around him, and his name shall be Solomon. For I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you, and may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God, as he has said to you. Only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding. Do you ever think that might have been what King David had prayed for, and that's why Solomon asked God for Wisdom, the prayers and encouragement of a parent. And give you charge concerning Israel that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper. If you take care to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Pray with me. Father, tonight we thank you that you have a purpose and a plan. And Lord, even the brokenness of our world, the heartache of sin and mistakes and regret, Lord, that you have a plan. Tonight, Lord, while none of us are kings in an earthly sense, Lord, we are joint heirs with Jesus. And so tonight, Lord, we pray that for each and every one of us, you will show us that we have influence, that we have people that we can lead, Lord, that people that we can make a difference in their life because of you. So, Father, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And so looking at 1 Kings tonight, I want you to take notes tonight. We see a weary leader in a time of weakness. A weary leader in a time of weakness. Look there in verses 1 through 4 of 1 Kings. Now King David was old, advanced in years. And they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. Whatever was going on in his physical body, he was not able to keep warm. It was a problem with blood flow or blood circulation or whatever it was. And so he has a great problem. Physically, he is not the man he used to be. Therefore, his servant said to him, Let a young woman, a virgin, be sought for our Lord the king, and let her stand before the king, and let her care for him. And let her lie in your bosom, that our Lord the king may be warm." 
So they sought for a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. The young woman was very lovely and she cared for the king and she served him, but the king did not know her. This is very important. Because most of the time when a king got old and his wives began to get old as a sign of his vigor and as a sign of his authority in the kingdom, he would take concubines. And he would prove to his enemies that he was still able to be king. He was still able to have more offspring. He was still able to do certain things that in their mind represented a healthy, strong king. But yet it also shows us here that David was not after this woman for a sexual reason. She was his caregiver. Some Bible commentators said that this is the reason that Adonijah knew it was time to rebel because his father no longer had the ability or the strength or the vitality to know this young woman in a sexual way. But for whatever reason, what we see is a king who is weary. A king, not on any fault of his own, has served the purpose that God has for him and is weak. It's not to say King David was a bad king, that King David was not doing the things that he shouldn't be done, but the time, passing of time, had caught up with him. And you know it, and I know it, when there is blood in the water, piranhas begin to come. When there's a sign of weakness, when there's a hint of of a cracking in the foundation, all of the enemies rise up. When everything's going well, when all is as it should be, right, that's when everybody's in your corner. But when you begin to take a fall or you begin to struggle or your business begins to take a downward turn, that's where the people start to see and say, I want that. I could do better at that. I could be the king that they wanted to be. I believe it is the number one reason we see such trouble in marriage. It is because God ordained that the husband is to be the spiritual leader of the home. And when that does not happen, everything is flipped upside down. I didn't say the spiritual dictator. I didn't say the spiritual jerk. I didn't say, I didn't say the, that the wife is the spiritual doormat. That's not what I said. But the Bible teaches us what that looks like, and when that doesn't happen, there's blood in the water. Whether it is from the wife, whether it is from someone who attacks a family, whether it is from the children, we see that when weakness happens in a home, in a marriage, in a church, or in a nation, the enemies come out of the woodwork. Why is it? that everyone is challenging the allies of America today. You might not like this, and I do not care. They sense blood in the water. The Republicans can't even pick a Speaker of the House. The gentleman in the White House doesn't even know where he's at. And when they look at America, they look at us and say, what has happened to the greatest nation in the world? What we see is the same thing. They can do now what they could not do before. And husbands, if you want to give your wife the greatest gift that you can give them, be the spiritual leader in your home. Love them, pray for them, sacrifice for them. Do the things that God has asked you to do. And I tell you, it will put a hedge of protection around you. 
It'll put you in a place where God can protect and work and move in a family. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs chapter 11 verse 14, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. God expects us to be leaders, to be led by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God. Now, anytime leadership is used in church, we think of CEOs or we think of executives. And, and I've been to plenty of pastor conferences that said, you know, the reason that 10 Mile doesn't grow behind, over 500, Jake, it's your fault. You won't stop visiting people. You won't let some of these things go. Well, listen to me. Jesus kept visiting the sick, caring for the broken, loving the hurting, being where people were. We are led by Jesus in the same manner that he leads. There's nothing wrong with leading reading John Maxwell's 16 principles to successful leadership. There's nothing wrong with leading 37 principles to be whatever. But never forget that real spiritual leadership means to be the least, means to be the greatest. If you want to be first, you must be last. But what we see here is weakness leads to problems. The second thing we see from this is a false leader who took advantage of that weakness. Starting in verse 5, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggath, exalted himself. Now don't miss that. King David, when talking to Solomon, said, God's going to establish your throne. God's going to raise you up. God's going to work through you. But here it says, Adonijah, the son of Haggath, exalted himself. But technically, he wasn't wrong. He was the oldest living son. But friends, God's using you is not depending on man's traditions. God can use you whether you are the least. God can use you whether you are the poorest. God can use you whether you are the dumbest. God can use you if you have the least education. God can use you not based on man's qualification, but because God seeth the heart. And so saying, I will be king. And he prayed for himself, chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, why have you done so? He was also very good looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. If you remember Absalom's rebellion, it was the same thing. I'm going to get men who are going to ride ahead of me and proclaim me as king. You have to remember that today you can turn on the television and you can see everything going on in Israel. You can watch the terrorist attacks of Hamas on people and individuals. You can watch where military formations are and what's being attacked and where missiles are being come from. But they didn't have that capacity here. There could be a whole rebellion and a change of the kingship before the people ever knew out in the country. If it didn't happen in their neighborhood, it took time for someone to get there and to tell them and to explain to them. And so what this man realized was, my father is weak, my father is not able to show himself, my father has not got what he needs, I can take his place. But I don't want you to miss what verse 6 says there, because it's one of the most interesting verses in this chapter. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, why have you done so? 
This is not a reference to when he was a young child playing king in the living room. What it tells us here is that David knew that something was going on. David had heard that this son wanted to be king. This wasn't a one-hour event. This was something that Adonijah had worked on. He had probably whispered to his closest friends. He had probably been putting in place treacherously. That's why I have no tolerance when someone says that we have to embrace the Islamic faith. The Koran tells them to lie to their enemies until they are strong enough to be in power. And then when they are in power, their responsibility is to either tax you, enslave you, or kill you. But it doesn't start out that way, does it? It starts out sneaking into your country by saying, we're the minority. We're the persecuted. Give us this little part of Minnesota, this little part of Michigan, this little town here. And by the time you look at the whole states engulfed in a false religion that hates God and the things of God. But what we see here is that King David did not rebuke his child. Now, I don't have adult children. My children are still old enough, that little enough, that if they don't listen, I'll spank them. And if they still don't listen, I'll just spank them again. And if they don't listen again, I'll spank them again, right? That is the stage of life we are in. But let's be honest, some of you know that it's harder to deal with a rebellious adult child than it is with a child. They'll, things like this come through your mind. What if I don't get to see my grandkids? How much say do I have over them anyway? They pay their own bills. But yet it says here that King David got into this mess because he would not stand up to his son and say, this isn't what God wants. You know this is not what God has said. And friends, I want to encourage you tonight that when you talk to your adult children, it has to be in love. But you do not get the right to quit telling your kids what God says no matter how old they are. That's all right. I knew that it wouldn't go over real well, but thank you to the three amens. And what has happened is we have fallen asleep at the wheel. We've told our children that, well, you don't have to be in that marriage. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to do these things. You can live in my basement till you're 48 years old and not work. It's not a problem. Kick them out and put them to work. And you say, Jake, that's just cruel. It's bitter. No. What happens is if we are not the parents God wants us to be, a generation grows up not being who God wants them to be. Godly children, godly churches, godly nations don't just happen by accident. It's because a group of godly people get together and say, we shall not be moved. Doesn't matter what the rest of my family, as Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That has to be your commitment. We as a church have to say that. While the rest of the Southern Baptist Convention loses its mind, as for this church, we will serve the Lord. We have to. We have to make that commitment because if we don't, there are enough people that want to be in charge that don't love Jesus that they'll find their way. Proverbs, the 28th chapter, verse 16, says it like this. A ruler who lacks understanding is a great oppressor, but he who hates covetous will prolong his days. I really began to pray about this as I was doing Bible study and Bible study about this. You ever think that David probably didn't want to get involved because he'd already had a bad experience with this once before? 
I mean, Absalom had done the same thing. He had to raise up an army as his son chased him out of town and tried to kill him. David probably thought, if I can just die, I won't have to be a part of this again. If I can just die, I won't have to be a part of this family fight. If I, if I can just get a few more days out of this. Friends, putting your hand in the sand never makes a problem go away. It just means someone else has to deal with it. And I'm not going to preach very far ahead, so if you want to know how these stories unfold, you'll have to be here or read ahead. But it gets ugly at some point. King David's going to lose another son. There's going to be a family that's going to be tore apart. But I ask myself, did King David still have enough sway with his son that he could have said, knock it off? We're not going to do this. We're not going to go this direction. We'll never know. The third and final thing tonight that I have is that unwise counsel can lead a leader astray. And so we've seen here the weak king, we've seen the false leader, and we'll see the people who surround him in verses 7 through 10. Then he conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah. If you remember, Joab had been David's faithful military commander. But boy, he did some wicked things. He had murdered Abner in cold blood. He had now committed treason, though, by siding against Solomon. He goes on and says, with Abathar. Abathar was the faithful priest who had supported King David even when his son Absalom had rebelled against him. It's a pretty good warning that you can serve God faithfully for many, many years and then get twisted up later in life. And they followed and helped Abdonajai. But Zadok, the priest, Benaiah, the son of Jehodiah, Nathan, the prophet, Shimei, Rei, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatted calf by the stone of Zohileth, which is by Enrogel. He also invited all of his brothers, the king's son, and all the men of Judah, the king's servant. But he did not invite Nathan, the prophet, Benaniah, the mighty men, or Solomon, his brother. What we see from this is he already knew who supported him and when he made his claim for the throne, he said, I'm only inviting those people that will say, go get them. He said, I ain't inviting nobody that's going to say, whoa! Don't you remember what God told your dad? Don't you remember what God said about Solomon? And friends, what we see here is a young man who wants the throne and by all earthly rights could have been his surround himself with people who did not care about the things of God and it costs him his life. Tonight I want to encourage you, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your finances, whether it's at church, whether it's your place of employment, that everybody will be more than happy to give you advice. It don't matter if you like them or don't, they'll have an opinion. But friends, who you surround yourself with can either bring you great blessings or great burdens. There are people that in your life will sometimes need to look at you and say, quit being dumb. You need to hear that from time to time. I need to hear that from time to time. 
There are other times in our life where we need to hear from people that say, hey, you're doing a good job, just hang in there. But friends, if you're not careful, you will surround yourself with people who say the same thing you do, think the same thing you do, and will find the same fate as you. And like I said, we're not going to jump too far ahead, but when it all hits the fan, guess who is standing with Adam and Janiah? Nobody. Everybody wanted him because they thought he was going to be the new king. They thought he was going to be the one who had all the power. Now, I know you're all older and sophisticated with this, but if you ever watched The Lion King, there were two characters that had no cares and no worries. And they loved to eat bugs and lay around and do nothing. And then they found a little lion cub and they sang a song, Ain't it great to be king, right? They realized from going to be in bacon to being friends with the ones that eats the bacon that everything was going to change. They had now had a friend. Friends, that's how it is here. And tonight you need to know if you're going to be the husband God wants you to be, the wife that God wants you to be, the parent that God wants you to be, you are going to go against the grain. Because people will tell you that's not what you need in your life. You don't need to submit to your husband. You don't need to love your wife like Christ loves the church. You don't need to spank your children and discipline them. That is the advice you will get from most people. Sunday is not a day sacred to worship the Lord and honor Him. But friends, you have to make a decision who you are going to be and the advice that you're going to get. In Proverbs, the 29th chapter, verse 12, the Bible says, If a ruler pays attention to lies, all his servants become wicked. If you'll believe any lie that people will tell you, that's the people you'll have. That's the people that will surround themselves around you. Because you'll believe whatever they tell you. And friends, it will bring ruin. The Apostle Paul, as I finish tonight, talking to the church in the book of Acts, was giving them advice for how to lead and how to love a congregation. Tonight, that could be applied to this church. It could be applied to your marriage. It could be applied to your family. But in its specific context, it's to the local church. He says, Therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. For I know this. Paul says, I'm guaranteeing you this. The Lord has revealed this to me that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Tonight, you need to know that if you're a child of God, you have a purpose. He died for you. He forgave you. He has brought you into His family. You say, Jake, well, I don't have a husband. Or, Jake, I don't have a wife that loves God. Or, I don't have parents that love God. Tonight, all you are responsible for is you. For you tonight saying, Jake, I'm not going to stand by and watch my family be devoured by Satan anymore. I'm going to be the praying spouse even if my spouse won't be. I'm going to be the parent God wants me to be even if my kids are not willing to listen. 
I'm going to have loving conversations with my adult children even if they don't want to hear it. I am willing to be used by God because my family is worth the fight. Friends, you have to believe that tonight. You have to believe that there is an enemy and there is an enemy who is seeking to devour and to destroy the people that you love. The marriage that you covet. The grandkids that you care about. The church that you love. There is never a time when you can step back and say, we are protected now. It's time for me to step down from my post on the wall and to not be the watchman God called me to be. You say, but Jake, I am tired of the fight. Do not grow weary when doing good. Tonight, if I could give you one piece of advice, it is to look at the blessings that God had given you in regards to the people He has given you and to say they are worth the fight. Now, some of you are saying they're worth fighting with. That's not what I'm talking about. They are worth fighting for. King David, he was at a point where he couldn't. But he wasn't so weak that he couldn't say something. God doesn't ask you to physically fight battles. He asks you to trust Him. He asks you to be a mouthpiece. He asks for you to be a prayer warrior. He asks for you to do the things that you can do no matter what your physical condition and trust Him to fight for you. You say, Jake, I'm just too old to fight for my family. Then you better pray that God takes you to heaven and brings someone into your family that will. That's what I tell pastors all the time when I talk to them. If you won't fight for the church that God's given you, get out. Because Satan's not going to stop because you've got tired of him or you've gotten frustrated with him. Even when I didn't want to come to church, because some of you, I never stopped praying. Even on nights where I thought, by golly, it'd be easier to give her half of everything. I never stopped praying. When I thought for my kids, goodness gracious, if they don't stop acting like they're mom's side of the family, what are we going to do? I never stopped praying for them, because I know that Satan will never stop. He will never lay down and quit. Because he knows his time is short. And he is going to work and devour and destroy everything for as long as the time that he's got. And God has given us the privilege of giving us things and people and a church and a nation that's worth fighting for. Father, I thank you so much for your word tonight. And Lord, as we start through this series, I just pray that you would be encouraged in your people, Lord. You would be encouraging us to see the value of what we have been given, the cost of what we will pay if we do not do what you've asked us to do. And Lord, tonight if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as the Lord and Savior of their life, I pray tonight, Lord, you would save them. You'd show them that they have value, that they have purpose. Lord, that you're willing to forgive them no matter where they've been. And God, that you have great things in store for them. Tonight, Lord, I pray that you'd forgive me for my sin and my shame and my frustration that I have in my own life, Lord, that I complain about to you. Lord, tonight we pray that you would work in this place in the families represented here and the people that you're going to reach. Lord, help us to see the value in what you're doing and the people that you've given us. And Lord, I just ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.